1: This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen
0: on this warning program. Today you're going to hear Pastor Ty Goldstrom speak a message on working with God. He spoke this while I was traveling on April 24, 2004. Sit back and enjoy today's warning radio program. God bless
1: you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. When we were worshiping, I was thinking of times past where I've when I've been trying to sleep, or I, I could, I remember one time it was, it was in the, uh, what nation was it was, I was in Kenya, and we were trying to sleep, and then about a block and a half away there was this party going on, like a disco or something. And it's interesting how agitated you can get when other people are partying, and you're trying to do something else like sleep. Amen? And it's interesting, <laughs> it's interesting because when you're on the outside, and everyone else is together and they're doing their thing. It's not as fun. And the Lord was like showing me that when you're on the outer courts, when you're outside of that spiritual tabernacle and you can hear everything, the things going on inside, but you yourself aren't inside and aren't able to participate. It's easy to label and to judge that group. Amen. But when you're inside and you're, and you're in having the fun and you're around people, then it's fun it's the same with the presence of God. It is no fun to be in a sanctuary with people who are in worship, or who are gathered in, who are focused in on the Lord, who are encountering Jesus Christ. If you are not engaging in Jesus Christ, it is not a fun place to be. Amen? Because your flesh doesn't like to worship. You understand what I'm saying? Your flesh doesn't long to worship. Your flesh doesn't long to commune with the living God. It is only the spirit within you who longs to communicate with God. And so if you are not, that's why it says in the word of God, John chapter 4, that he desires that people come and worship him in spirit and in truth, because outside of that, he can accept that kind of worship, and it's just no fun for the believer. Have you ever been into a, a time, maybe even in, the, in a service like today, or another church where just the worship was powerful, anointed, People are crying out to God and you can look around and you can see one or two that are sitting there just like flaccid, like they're dead. And there, you can just tell they don't want to be there. Anyone there? Have you ever seen that? You ever been guilty of that yourself? (laughs) Perhaps you had an argument with your spouse before the worship service? Oh, has that ever happened to you? The devil tries to sow a seed of discord between you and your spouse right before a worship service? You know how he does? He's pretty good at that. He's pretty good at trying to sow a seed, trying to throw something in front of you. Right before you're going to come and encounter the living God, he wants to see if he can take a trip and stumble, because then he knows that you will hate that worship service because you cannot enter in. That's the way the devil works. And that's why we got to know the wile and devices of the enemy, amen? we got to know how he works. And I can testify and be transparent before each of you that there's been times in the past where... My wife and I have had a conflict right at the last minute, right when our guard was down. No. We're all, no. We're all focused in. We're like, we've got to get things going. We've got this, 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 this. And then one little comment and react to the flesh. and Oh, it's right downhill, isn't it? It's amazing how fast it can go downhill and gather momentum. <laughs> and it's hard to worship the Lord with that burden on your heart. And I don't think the Lord is very pleased with that kind of thing when it happens because the Word of God says that there's conflict, that there's sin in the camp, between you and anyone else. Back off from the altar. Go and make it right and then come back. Because he wants people to worship what? in spirit and in truth. Whose spirit? The Holy Spirit. Not the conflict spirit. Not the argument spirit. Not the fleshly spirit. Not the unholy spirit. But the Holy Spirit. And when the flesh is on the throne, you can't worship in spirit and in truth. And so I don't know where that came from or why I said it, but Maybe it was for one person. I don't know. But he desires those to come in and worship him in spirit and in truth. We took that worship class. We had a couple, I think, and we realized that to worship in spirit and in truth, to worship him in spirit, to worship Jesus Christ, worship is originated where? It originates in heaven. We do not initiate worship. Yeah, We can praise him. We can shout his name. We can give thanksgiving and praise into His name. But there's a certain transformation that happens, and it even happened a couple times here, and I know Tamara could testify. There's some times we were worship, or praising the Lord, and it entered into worship, where we began to surrender ourselves. We began to lay our lives upon the altar. And that's the sweet time. That's the goal of why we come here together. We want to move beyond praise. We want to enter into worship, where He can come now and flow through us. And we can worship Him in spirit and truth. Praise the Lord. That's exciting. And all the little children said, Amen. Ah, amen. That's right. I'm not going to speak long today. I do want to, I have a burden to pray corporately at the end. And the Lord was reminding me, whenever we have a victory, victory comes after what? That's right. You can never have a victory apart from a struggle, apart from a war, apart from a battle. Or it wouldn't be called a victory. Amen? And I believe that we have a victory in this ministry and for individuals that's right here. It's imminent. And the devil understands that. He knows that. And so he's going to try to do anything he can to trip us up that we might not rely upon Jesus Christ, but rely upon the flesh to get our eyes off of him. So that he might somehow keep us from the victory that has been granted to us as a ministry and as individuals. And there's times when that comes. There's times when it's time to sound the alarm. And I believe this is such a time, and at the end today, I want to pray corporately because I believe, and I don't understand the whole realm of it. I just know, I have a sense that we need to come together as a congregation at the end, and we need to pray. We need to pray for needs. There's needs that need to be met. The devil is on the prowl, and he is going to try to trip us up. And we have to be wise and come together and be led by the Holy Spirit. You don't always have to know exactly in your mind how to pray. When you feel the burden to pray, you just need to pray. There's times where He wakes you up in the middle of the night, and you know it's the Lord, but you don't know why. That doesn't mean you go back to sleep because you don't know why. You just start to pray. And how often does that happen? You start to pray, you start to intercede. You don't have the, the English words to understand it. So you just start speaking in tongues. You say, Lord, and here I am. And you start going, and then all of a sudden the revelation comes. All of a sudden, He gives you how to pray. Effective prayer is always initiated and led by Jesus Christ. It's not led by you. He has to lead. He has to teach. He has to show you how to pray. And we just get behind it. We draft the presence of God. We come in behind Him. He breaks away. He binds up the strong man. He gets the victory, and we flow behind Him. Amen? If you're out in front, you're in a dangerous position. Because you cannot fight the devil on your own. And Jesus doesn't expect you to. He expects you to get behind him. To draft him. He wants to lead you in how to pray. He doesn't need your prayer, but he has ordained it that we can enter into him with this battle led by Jesus Christ. He is the leader. Amen? And so I feel this is a time in this ministry where we need to Pray. And I believe as we begin to pray even today, we know needs that we have. We're going to pray for Brother Bob today. We know we have some needs. We know that Melinda is close. Amen? And I am not going to take it for granted. Oh, we're close, therefore we'll just kind of relax now. That's not the mentality I'm taking. Because that's the way the devil wants you to think. The victory is not the victory until you have the victory. Anything before that is false pretense. It's trusting in your own strength. Not leaning upon the Lord, but leaning upon you. And your mentality. And this is how the devil works. He only does what you allow him to do. He sits there and he waits for a vulnerable person. you ever seen those shows on PBS about you know, the, the lions out in the jungle and they stalk and they have three or four of them going around? Who do they go after? They go after the small one. They go after the vulnerable one. They're not idiots. They go after the one that's the easiest kill. Amen? And we are the flock of God. We are His sheep. And who is the devil going to go after? He's going to go after the most vulnerable one. And that's why it's crucial in our personal lives, in our times of the Lord, that we lean not on our own understanding. Because really, we're all vulnerable, aren't we? If you think you're strong, then you're vulnerable. If you think you got it all together, if you think that the armor is impenetrable, you can, it can it's never coming off. You're in trouble. Because it only takes a little opening. Remember that king? Let me, As I tell the story, tell me who the king was. The king that told, was told not to go out and fight. So he had his armor on. He had his armor on. But what happened? The arrow went right through, it says, where the armor connects. Just a little seam in the armor. He was warned not to go out. Thought he had his armor on. But the arrow found one little spot. A vulnerability. And he was killed. I don't remember who the king was. Anyone remember? Because he was wondering if he could go out and fight. No, it wasn't the king of Egypt. It was like Raymond Gilead or something. He's going against Raymond Gilead, I think. Ahab? Might have been Ahab. And he died in his in his chariot. Blood all over. Yeah. Remember that? I think that was interesting. He had his armor on. The arrow came and found just a little point, a seam in his armor. There's a lot of preaching you can do on that. I didn't plan on going that way. I'm going to go that way. So open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. we're going to go through a few verses together. Ahab, all right. 18, 28. So that's a good preachable text because there's different kinds of armor. There's a pseudo armor. There's the armor that you put on where you think you're impenetrable. I'm going to go up and I'm going to wage war. But Jesus Christ tells us to put on a different kind of armor. It's actually his armor. And that's what you had to understand. It's not your armor. It's his armor. Before it's your armor, it's his armor. And if you go out into the battle, you better have his armor because we're not fighting a fleshly battle. If you put your own armor on, you're vulnerable. You think you're strong, like Ahab. You think you have the victory. You think just because he got everything going for you. He had a good-sized army. You think, in natural terms, that's when you're vulnerable. Amen? And how many times have I, how many times have you thought that you were strong that day. So he said, today I don't need to spend that time with the Lord. Toes going, <gasps> I'm guilty, I mean, I'm mean, i guilty, we're all guilty, we're all guilty. How many times do we say, okay, we had a good day yesterday, we get up and we find something to do and we say, well, we'll get to it, amen? And we don't spend that time with the Lord, we don't put on the spiritual armor, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember whose battle it is. It's a spiritual battle. And if you're going to go to battle against the wiles and devices, yes, you are assured the victory, but it's only by His will. It's only by His pattern. It's only by how He commands. And so if you stray away in your own mentality, in your own mind, in your own strength, in your own intellect, in your own self-sufficiency, you will surely perish and die. Amen? Because you wander away from the blood you wander away from the covering. 2 Peter chapter 1 it says Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now most translations will say a servant. I think the NSB says a bond servant. It could just as easily be translated as slave. Now we don't like that translation because we don't like the, what it brings to our mind when we think of the word slave. Because when we think of the word slave, what do we think about? We think yeah, we think about we think about black slaves in America, don't we? And we think of the cruelty and the misjustice that happened to the slaves. But can I submit to you today that there's nothing wrong with being a slave for Jesus Christ? I like to be a slave to Jesus Christ. Let me read you a definition of slave from a dictionary. One bound in servitude as the property of a person or a household. One who is objectively subservient to a specified person or influence, one who works extremely hard. I like what it says in number one. Again, one, one bound in servitude as the property of a person or a household. Now the scripture tells us that we were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The word of God says that we are no longer our own. That's what happened when we came to Jesus Christ. We gave over the deed, the title of our life. We are not our own anymore. I don't own me. I don't own this body. I just became a steward of my body. And that is the paradigm shift that has to happen in our mind, that everything that you own, you think, everything that you have influence over is not yours. It is Jesus. You gave over the title. You signed it over to Jesus Christ. So now it's no longer my wife, my children. I am now stewards of my wife. I'm a steward of that relationship. I will be accountable for my relationship with her and my children. Every asset that I have, it is no longer mine. I understand that it is Jesus' and that I'm a steward of the resources. Amen. So we're bought with a price. And so there's nothing wrong with being a slave for the Lord Jesus Christ to be subservient, to be in servitude, to be purchased. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that is the best translation. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who wouldn't want to be a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ? Who wouldn't want to do His will? I mean, a slave is just a person that when he's given a command, he does it. When Jesus gives a command, we want to do it. We want to do His will and His good pleasure. Amen? We should desire to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So Peter is saying here that he's basically describing who he's writing to. He's not writing to the lost in this. He's not writing to the one who's just the intellectual scholar. He is writing to the ones who are truly and inherently spirit-filled Christians. That's who he's writing to here. He wants to make it clear I am writing to those who have the faith as precious as ours. And he says in verse 2, "Grace and peace be yours in abundance." That's what it says in the NIV. I like what it says better in the NASB. I think it's closer to the original Greek. It says, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you." Be multiplied with you. And I like that word multiplication because if you take a number like 4 and you multiply it and you keep multiplying it, where's the end? There is no end in multiplication. And so when we have the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no end to it. Because now you have tapped into the eternal God. Grace and peace be unto you. Now, grace is the Greek word charis. It means favor or goodwill, gifts. We get our word charismata or charismatic, the gifts of God, of the Holy Spirit. They are the grace of God. Amen? And we can tap into that. We can have it multiplied forever and ever and ever in our lives. There is no end. In the physical realm, every good thing has to what? Come to an end. But with Jesus Christ, every good thing has no end. That's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can never get tired of it. You can never get sick of it. You can never wear it out. Because it's everlasting everlasting. When you get to heaven someday, you don't stop learning. You keep on learning for eternity. Because we are going to be like Him, yet we'll, we're not going to be Him. We're not going to be God. We're going to have much to learn. He is everlasting the everlasting. And the time to take on the character of God is now. The grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word peace, arena in the Greek, Is peace, harmony, order, or health? And I'm more convinced, and I believe the Lord allowed me to go into medicine to be able to see this and experience this, that people are struggling with peace. The number one and number two drugs prescribed in America are antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines. That shows that people don't have a peace. So Paul, or Peter, is saying here that he prays that they would have the grace and peace multiplied forever and ever. That's what we need. The world is starving for peace. It's starving for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil wants to steal the peace, steal the grace. Jesus wants to multiply it forever and ever. I want to tap into that. I need the peace of Jesus Christ. I need the peace in my health, in my body. I need the peace in my mind. You know how easy it is to be anxious about the things of this world? Do we not all struggle with that, getting anxious and fear over our lives? And the funny thing is, we even know it's silly, yet we still do it. We know it's silly. We know it's only temporal things. Yet, we will still fret, fear, tremble, have anxiety. And why doesn't Jesus want that? Not only because it's bad for your health mentally and physically, but it's really hard to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust Him in faith when you're flowing in anxiety and fear. It's really a one or the other. Either you're flowing in fear and anxiety or you're flowing in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to trust Jesus when you're trusting yourself and dealing with it yourself. Amen? Can you imagine that number one and number two drugs prescribed in America are for mental sickness? Mental sickness. Mental sickness. America needs the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He has broken down every wall. He wants to come and to heal you. He wants to come and to soothe you. Now this is the interesting part. Verse 2, it says, grace and peace. I'm going to read out of the NASB. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So how do you get the peace and the grace multiplied to you, overflowing, overflowing? It's by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is interesting because we think of knowledge as facts and data. That's not what it's talking about here. The origin of this knowledge, who gives the knowledge? If it's just mere human knowledge, I can go out and learn something. That's not what he's talking. He's talking about revelation knowledge. Nobody comes to the Father except what? The Spirit draws the man. He's talking about revelation knowledge that he wants to impart into your life. Because without that revelation knowledge, you cannot have the peace and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ multiplied over and over. So you got to understand, intellectual man or woman out there. I'm one. I try to think everything intellectually. I try to figure it out my my brain. It's not the source of your knowledge. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how intellectual you are. Revelation knowledge only comes through surrender and obedience. Right? It only comes through that relationship and that intimacy with Jesus. That's when he pours out the revelation knowledge, and that's what gives you the grace and the peace multiplied over and over. Isn't that interesting? So verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life. So Peter here is very adamant. He says it two times. Verse 1, it says, To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior. Peter is trying to let us know that all the things that we have, all the benefits that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not because of us, it's because of the goodness of God, it's because of His character, His excellency, His divine power. That's why we have revelation knowledge. Not because you or I are worthy of it. Because He is worthy. Because his character said, I want my children to come and to know me. God is a God of revelation. The devil tries to convince us that Jesus has, doesn't want to talk to you. I believe that most Christians today are more agnostic than Christian, Because what they do in their lives is they, they, say, they say the right things, that Jesus is God and Jesus is Lord. But they don't really believe in the heart of hearts that Jesus wants to communicate with them, that Jesus wants to lead them. That Jesus wants to shepherd them, to heal them, to restore them. They don't have faith that Jesus wants to be intimately involved in your personal life. That's an agnostic. Oh yeah, there's a God, but he's not wanting to be interested in mere man. But Jesus Christ loves every one of you. From the least to the greatest, to the smallest to the oldest. Male, female, it doesn't matter. He loves you. He wants to lead you. He wants to shepherd you. When you walk through the shadow of death, he wants to comfort you. He wants to give you his Irene, his peace, multiplied over and over again. Don't let the devil pervert your mind. Last week we talked about the devil and how he works. I think we need to talk about it just a little bit more today. Let me repeat verse 3 again, seeing that his divine power, his divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I think I shared last week of the man who told me that he's trying to be a good Christian. Peter is saying here, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's not about the goodness you bring to the table. It's not about being a good old boy or a good old girl. It's not having good ethical morals or values. It's not about being raised from good stock. Even our works as good as we might think they are, are but dung. They're just disgusting in His sight because if you understand, all of our good works are somehow tainted with a selfishness. We can never justify ourselves before a holy God based on our character. Amen? Our salvation is so independent from what we bring to the table. Now, i got to say, this is so important because what happens is in the whole dark ages, the church was so perverted, was so works-based, They're basically like the Muslims today. How many works can you do? Then you can be saved. And of course, we affirm the Protestant Reformation. But I believe what the error we have in the Protestant Reformation today is, we think that we pervert the word grace, and everything is grace. And so now there's no works in salvation. Oh, yes. But now there's no works in your Christian life. That I do not affirm. There's a title for this message, and I guess I have to get a title because he's going to ask me. I'd say it's working with God. We must work out our salvation. Work out. A lot of Protestants don't like to hear that. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is not based on merit or based on works. It's based on surrender. Amen? But now that we're saved, now that we're filled with the Holy Ghost, what does the book of James say? There better be some works here. The Spirit of God is within you. The Spirit of God is not dormant. It is not impotent. It is powerful. It is effective. It changes things. It changes the atmosphere. It is salt and it is light. What does it say in Matthew chapter 6? That we should do good works. Why? So that people will see our good works and give praise to our Father who is in heaven. Most Protestants today don't like that. Because they say, oh, now your work's based. And the Bible never says that we're not supposed to do good works. We read last last week of First John. Let's go back there real quick. First John, or forward, I guess. First John, chapter three. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Actions, and in truth. Is that not works? Is it our own works? No, it's not our own works. It's the Spirit of God within us. The love of God within us. That's what's doing the work through us. He's not interested in your own works. He's not interested in your own sacrifice. But if the Spirit of God is within you, the eternal, living God is within you, then the love of Jesus Christ will flow out of you. And everything that you do, What do you do all day long? You go to where? You go to work. You do works. You do things. You bless people. That's the outward manifestation of the inward presence of God. That's all it is. It's not your glory. It's only Jesus Christ through you. It's not your good works. It says that we love why? Because God first loved us. The origin of everything good within us is the spirit of a living God. Every good work within us, it is Jesus Christ. That's why we can never say to Jesus on Judgment Day, Lord, look, I cast out devils in your name. See, Lord, I laid hands on many people and saw them healed. What does the Lord say to those kind of people? I never knew you. What is he trying to communicate there? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He's trying to say to us, it's about knowing him. Really knowing him. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians that says that once we knew Jesus according to the flesh, but thus we should know him no longer. And then it says that we should not look after each other according to the flesh. Why? Because if we look at, if I look at you according to the flesh, I will try to misuse you. I'll try to use you for my gain. I'll look at you through selfish, carnal eyes. How can this man or this woman benefit me? This is how every human relationship is without the Spirit of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, when I let my marriage relationship, I see what can tomorrow do for me? How can she benefit me? I cannot love her sacrificially apart from Jesus Christ. I cannot love her as Jesus loved the church apart from Jesus Christ. Because that is divine love. That is the spirit of the living God within me. Men hear that verse and they cringe. Love my wife as Jesus loved the church? It's easy. It's called surrender. It's the spirit of God within you. The love of God within you. That's how you love your wife as Jesus loved the church. You surrender every day. And he fills you with his divine nature. I'm getting ahead of myself. 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and receive from Him anything we ask, because we obey His commands, and do what pleases Him. We obey His commands. We obey His commands. Jesus said, if you, will, if you truly love me, you will obey my commandments. am back in Second Peter. I want to read chapter verse 3 one more time. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. It's so important to see that in the first three verses, Peter two times shows that if you want to tap into the divine power, if you want to tap into Jesus Christ, it is by revelation knowledge. Two times in a row he says it. All the goodness, all the grace, all the mercy, all the wisdom, all the faith, it comes through Jesus. It comes through that revelation knowledge that happens in intimacy. Verse 4 says, For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world, By lust. I said it last week and I think it's worth saying again. We are called as Christians to take on the divine nature. The goal of Christianity is to take on the full maturity of Jesus Christ. Again, we got to understand how the devil works. The devil understands totally what the goal of Christianity is. He knows that as Christians we're supposed to take on the divine nature. And here he is saying, if you allow yourself to get that revelation knowledge of Jesus Christ, this is what the devil is afraid of in your life. He doesn't want you to get revelation knowledge. Because when you get revelation knowledge, that transforms your soul. Revelation knowledge doesn't come through the soul. It doesn't come through the flesh. It comes through the Spirit of God within you. That's where revelation knowledge comes from. And here, Peter, two times in the first three verses says, if you can get this revelation knowledge, then you can tap into divine power. Then you can tap in to grace and peace multiplied over and over again in your life. The devil does not want that for your life. He understands that this is the goal and the strategy of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And he is going to come, and that's where he's going to try to trip you up. He's going to try to quench that from your life. It says right here that he wants to allow you to be partakers of the divine nature. Why? To escape the corruption of this world. Right? There's only two paths. Either it's divine nature or it's the world. And so it says here that Jesus Christ, he's interested in allowing the Spirit of God to come through your spirit, the born-again spirit within you, to influence your soul. And the main function of the soul is the will. The will of man is what needs to be converted. Amen? It needs to be influenced. And the devil understands that if he can come and he can trip you up, if he can provoke your will and influence your mind to sin, what happens? Then your heart, which is a seedbed of emotions. Remember what it said in 1 John chapter 3. If our hearts are not condemned, then we can boldly, confidently ask God for anything. What is our heart?s It's not just the blood pump. It's not just the, the organ within. It is the seedbed of our emotions. So the Holy Spirit is saying through that scripture that it's our emotions that get tripped up and condemned that perverts our mind and our wills and we cannot lean upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't tap into that revelation power because our emotions have condemned us. Our emotions have stopped us. That's the, w- the wiles and devices of the enemy. He's after your mind and your emotions. He wants you to feel the pity of sin. He wants you to feel the remorse of sin. And He wants you to stand condemned. Because He knows if your heart stands condemned, you cannot enter in to divine revelation. We talked about it last week. When you stumble and fall and all of a sudden you feel that deep remorse, you almost back away from the Lord. And you wait. You hide like Adam and Eve behind the bush. And you sew your own loincloths. Instead of falling on your face before Jesus, say, Lord, I fell. I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. We hide ourselves. This is what the devil wants you, because you cannot enter into divine revelation in that state. Verse 5 says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Applying all diligence. You cannot apply all diligence apart from your will, saying, I will do something. With everything that we have, with all diligence, and it goes into a couple of verses of attributes that are, can be attained to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly Kindness in your ability kindness, love. So here he's saying that Jesus Christ gives everything that's necessary to partake of the divine nature. This is what it looks like. And he goes in and talks about the characteristics of God. And what he's saying here is, He has set the table for you. He has called you to the banqueting table. He has prepared a feast. He has made a place for you. He has sat you down. But he cannot make you eat it. You have to apply yourself in all diligence and partake. He has done all the work for you. Now he says, now partake, come and eat. I remember working in nursing homes and working with dementia, demented patients. You cannot make them eat. You can do everything for them. You can prepare the food. You can put the food up to their mouth. But if they don't want to eat, you cannot force them. And Jesus Christ will not force you to take the divine nature. You must want it. You must desire it. You must be diligent. You must present yourself every single day as a living sacrifice. He will knock on the door of your life. He will remind you that He is there, but He will not break in. He is not a thief. He will not turn you into robots. He wants you to love Him. Love necessitates a choice. That's where your will comes in. He wants your mind. He wants your emotions to be healed. But it'll never come apart from your working with God. You must work with God. And the beautiful thing about the Christian life is, the very work that is necessary for the Christian life, where is it originated? It is Jesus working through you. That's the beauty of Christianity. That's like no other religion in this world. The very work that is necessary to have relationship and intimacy with God is the very power that He will supply to you. That's the good news. That's why it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not what I bring to the table. It's what He will bring through you. He will work the Christian life. He will give you the power. He will give you the diligence. He will give you the multiplied grace and peace. He will add these characteristics to your life. Praise the Lord. For if these qualities are yours, And are increasing. Remember, multiplied over and over. There's no end to it. There's no end to love and to perseverance and self-control. There's no end to divine nature. They should be increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we go into the true knowledge. Revelation knowledge. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Isn't that wonderful? Mankind wants to work out in its own strength the Christian life. Remember Pastor Hansen's sermon, The Greatest Sin is doubt and unbelief. When you start to rely upon yourself and you try to live the Christian life apart from that dunamis power, the TNT spiritual power, when you try to tap in and try to allow your Christian life to go based on without the Spirit of God behind it, that is religion. That is you and your own strength trying to build your own tower of Babel and to present it to God. But Jesus Christ wants to come And he wants to be the spiritual leader. He wants to come and break the headwind and have you come behind him and draft. The Christian life is not meant to be a struggle in the area of sin. We make it the struggle by our resistance to surrendering. That's the hard part. Christianity is such, it's so hard it is so easy. We're the ones that make it hard. We're the ones that Frustrate the grace of God. Remember that passage in Galatians chapter 2, verses 21? It says, do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness could be obtained through the living out of the law, then Christ died for nothing. He has provided a path to righteousness in your life. He has provided a way for you to tap in to the multiplication of the divine nature and the power. Don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't frustrate the path by making your own path. There is only one path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is that path. Don't frustrate the grace of God. There is no way to tap in to what Peter is talking about apart from daily surrender. Daily offering yourself and saying, Jesus, here I am. I lay down all my own human-oriented works, my knowledge, my human knowledge, for your divine wisdom. That's how we're going to be powerful. We can only be powerful if Jesus Christ is powerful within us. That dunamis power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I believe that that's going to be important for us, not only individually, but as a ministry. Because the Lord wants this ministry to fight many battles. He has many battles for us to fight. He has many lands for us to conquer in His name. He wants us to go in and take countries. That's going to take the dunamis power. That's going to take Jesus Christ flowing through our lives. If we go in our own strength, we are not going to take any nation or any city. But if we surrender ourselves daily to Him, and as a ministry can flow in that power, then we can take nations. We can take cities. We can take territories in His name. We can see divine healing in our midst. We can see the dunamis power go and extend and touch and heal. He wants to do it. He longs to heal us. The Word of God says He is the forgiver of our iniquities and the healer of our infirmities. He wants to heal us. He wants to touch us. He wants to restore us. He wants to take the fear that we have, the anxieties that we have, the depression that we have, and He wants to soothe it. He wants to heal you. Would you let Him today heal you? Would you lay your life down as a living sacrifice and allow him to heal you of that hurt? Allow him to heal you of that anger or that bitterness, that resentment. He wants to heal you today. He wants to multiply it over and over again within you. Amen? And so today we need the dunamis power. Mel needs the dunamis power. Little Joshua within her womb needs the dunamis power. She doesn't need human wisdom. She doesn't need human strength. She needs the strength of the Lord. Because the attacks that come against us are not flesh and blood, but they are principalities and spirits. She needs the dunamis power. She needs the power of the Holy Ghost. She needs the blood of the Lamb. Brother Bob doesn't need fancy words. He needs dunamis power in his life. And Jesus is here to give him dunamis power. He is here to set him free. He is here to heal him. Do you know that living within you is the full potential of the dunamis power? But it's our lack of faith, it's our disobedience and lack of surrendering daily to the Lord, where now our minds are perverted to thinking that Jesus doesn't want to do it or can't do it or won't do it, or we have all the excuses in the world, But we have doubt and unbelief. Doubt and belief in our lives is only there if we neglect to present ourselves before the Lord daily. Jesus Christ lives within you. The glory of God is within you. What releases the glory of God, the love of God, the power of God? It's getting this human mind out of the way. It's getting the emotions out of the way. It's getting your insecurities and your fears out of the way. Healed under the blood. Then the dunamis power is released within you. We quantify, like the more that we know Jesus Christ, and the longer that we're Christians, the Lord keeps pouring in more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. Can you grasp that? It is within you. The more you do good works, it's not saying, you know oh, they deserve a little bit more power. No. The power is within you. It's doubt and unbelief that keeps it from being released within you. Bob needs the glory of God. Mel needs the glory of God. Many of you need the glory of God to be released in your life. Let's let the Lord release the glory in our lives. Let's let Him. Let's surrender all. Amen? I'm going to share just for a second about Brother Bob. Brother Bob has a brain lesion, brain mass. And Brother Bob needs the glory of God. He doesn't need, again, fancy words. He doesn't need me to go up and lay hands on him with Thai-oriented, Thai-ordained words. He needs the glory of Jesus Christ flowing through him and dissolving that tumor. That's what Brother Bob needs. And that's the will of God in his life. The will of God for his life is not for Brother Bob to have a brain tumor. The will of God is for Brother Bob to be strong, To let the peace of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, be multiplied within him. Peace in his health. Peace in his physical body. When you have a tumor growing in your brain, that is not peace in the physical members. That is chaos and destruction. Jesus Christ came to give you peace in your physical body. Peace. For Bob to have total peace in his physical body would necessitate that Jesus Christ heals that tumor. Amen? He came to give you peace in your emotions. He came to multiply it over and over again. Today I'm focused and directed with Bob and I want to pray for Melinda. But I believe there are so many people in this place that need the peace and the grace multiplied over. And I believe that Jesus Christ will do it. We can be praying for Brother Bob yet you encounter living God in faith and you yourself are healed. Amen? God can heal Bob and heal you at the same time. He doesn't need a different service where we gear it towards you. If you'll just engage within the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll just allow the communion of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, to flow into your life and through your life, He can heal you right here. Your physical infirmity, your emotional infirmity, let the peace be multiplied over and over again in you, even right now. Praise the Lord. I need the peace rolling over. I need it every single day. It's not like I'm thinking there's only two people or three people in here that need the peace rolling over. You all need the peace rolling over. All of you in this room have some fear, some anxiety, some stress that is not under the blood of Jesus, I guarantee it. We need the peace rolling over. Because when the peace rolls over, then the dunamis power and the glory of God is more fully released in us. And not only can we be strong, but then we have the faith to lay hands on the brother or sister and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. And it's not just resounding and tinkling brass. Right. How many churches? How many Christians? How many of us? How many times have I? It can say a prayer and it sounds so sweet and it sounds so good. It sounds like authority. But there is no authority. Unless it's Jesus' authority in me. You can be a great con-otter's prayer. But the thing about prayer is we know if it's effectual, don't we? (laughs) You know if it's effective. You know how effective we are in your prayer life and praying for others. The fruit bears witness, doesn't it? If everyone in your whole life you pray for never gets healed, never gets touched, never gets revelation, something is wrong with your prayer. Because if it's Jesus Christ flowing out of you, it's going to have effect. Praise the Lord. It should have effect in our lives. And so we don't come here, like Paul said, with fancy speech, eloquent words. We come here with deep conviction, power, and the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. That's what I need. There's areas in my life that are displeasing to the Lord. Hello? There. (laughs) You hear my wife, she goes, That's true. I'm glad I said it first. <laughs> there are areas in my life that are displeasing to the Lord. You know what the key is, though? they got to be displeasing to me, too. It was uh, Brother Bond, Ian Bond. I like this word he said. Listen to this. He goes, Jesus will never set you free from your friend. Is that how I said it? He'll never deliver you from your friend. If your lust is your friend, he's not going to set you free from it. It's got to be your adversary. you got to hate that sin. And you got to hate the source of that sin, which is the devil. You have to have a warring spirit. If it's your friend, if you like it, if you enjoy it, he will not set you free from your friend. you got to hate it. you got to despise it. you got to say in the name of Jesus, I'm sick of this bondage in my life. I am tired of it. Let the righteous indignation of the Lord well up within you. Let the warring spirit of Jesus well up within you. He's a hater of sin. Why? Because it takes you away from relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It brings a schism between you and the peace and the grace multiplied over from the divine power, from the divine nature being worked in your life. That's why Jesus hates sin in your life. Because He loves you so much. And He wants the divine power released in your life. He wants to see you whole. He wants to see you set free. He doesn't want to see you full of anxieties and fears. He pleads with you. Present your request to me. Surrender your life to me. Hate that sin. Hate it with the hate of Jesus Christ. Because he will not deliver you from your friend. Amen. You gotta hate it. You gotta despise it. You gotta say it's, it's robbed me all of these years. It has kept me from maturing in my relationship with the Lord. Let's not let anything interfere with our relationship with Jesus. We all have areas. I know right now the Spirit of God is is talking to us about areas in our life which are stumbling blocks from progression of intimacy with Jesus Christ. I have areas that are stumbling blocks to intimacy with Jesus Christ. And I pray that together today, as we pray for Brother Bob, as we pray for Melinda and Joshua, I pray that you'll tap in. Amen? Amen. The glory of God is within you. Say, the glory of God is God. is within me. It is within you, friend. Will you just acknowledge that the glory, the fullness of God lives within you. And He wants to be revealed in your life today. Let's surrender it today. Amen? However He's speaking to you, it doesn't matter. However He's speaking to you today, Let's surrender it today. Let's ask the Lord to put within us a warring spirit and be a hater of sin. If you're not a hater of sin, then you will not present yourself daily to God. If you're not a hater of sin, you'll never confront the brother or sister in sin. Why would you? If you don't hate the sin, why would you confront the brother? Why would you enter into a potential conflict with another person if you didn't hate the sin? and see that that sin in their life is keeping them from that full maturity of Jesus Christ. That's why we confront a brother or a sister, right? Was it Ephesians chapter 6, I think, that says that those who are spiritual should go and confront a brother or sister, lest you be tempted, lest you fall yourself. Amen? If you don't hate sin, you'll never confront a brother or sister. When pastor encourages us, to be willing and able to confront one another in love. If you find yourself not doing that, it's because you're not a hater of sin. Jesus is a hater of sin. If you spend time with Jesus, you will become a hater of sin. Because you'll understand what sin does. We think, oh, sin, it's, it's something that causes a conflict between a spouse. For No, it cuts you off from a full maturity of Jesus Christ. It doesn't allow you to progress in that relationship. That's why we hate sin. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to have Brother Bob, if you would come forward. Pastor Tom, I am so thankful to see Brother Bob walk from that chair to this spot right here. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I am so thankful for that. Because yeah. if you've been around in the last week, he wasn't doing that. Just a couple of days ago, he was not doing that. He had to be almost literally carried where he was going. I praise God for that. I praise God for that. I was so thrilled. I don't know what night. What night was it? Um, Thursday night. I saw Brother Bob Thursday afternoon at the clinic, and he wasn't doing real well. And then I came later that evening, and some of the Brother Bob Iron Bob Peterson nuances were returning. And I was like, "Praise God!" I was so thrilled. I was so thrilled. And I want the full blessings for Brother Bob. Not just for a a mere physical healing. I want it for more than that. I want it because this will keep him from doing everything Jesus Christ wants to do in his life. See, the devil is after your mind. He wants to cloud your mind. He wants to pervert your mind. And that's what he's going to try to do with Bob. Jesus Christ wants to dissolve this tumor far more just for a natural sign and a wonder. He wants to do it because he wants Brother Bob. He wants the full mind, will, and emotions of Bob to be healed, set free, and restored. Because he wants Bob to go into the glory of glories, the Holy of Holies, every single day of his life. And the devil is trying to rob, kill, and destroy. And we are not going to take it because we have the warring spirit of Jesus Christ within us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so the authority is within us, Bob. The glory is already within us. The anointing, the dunamis power, it's within us. Now we're going to work it out in faith and see an outward manifestation of the inward reality and glory of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And I believe, and I want to hear your testimony, because I believe today that we're doing far more than praying for Brother Bob or Sister Mel. We are doing it for everyone here. The glory wants to speak to you and heal you and set you free. Heal your mind, heal your emotions, heal your physical body. Press in today because I believe that from today there's going to be testimony. And I want to hear those testimonies of what happens today in the service, Okay, And so all of us, every single person, I want you to surrender and lift your life up today. Praise the Lord.